we've been talking about the idea of Sabbath. Sabbath is as old as planet Earth. Because God, when he, when he instituted Sabbath, he did it around creation. He wanted to show us that we needed to take time to pause and to stop. So I'm not going to be able to tell you everything there is about Sabbath. It's thousands of or maybe millions. I don't know how many years old the, the Earth is. That's a debate for others to debate. It's been around for a long time. So whatever, uh, whatever I can share, I, I think it'll be life-changing. And right in the middle of Sabbath, like you can do a lot of things when you Sabbath. A lot of activities. I'm going to talk about that next week, what to put into your Sabbath. But one thing that has to be there for every one of us is prayer. So today I'm talking about the discipline of prayer. I want you to take your uh, sermon notes out of the worship guide. I would love it. You know, it, it's been a proven fact that you remember vastly more by writing something down. Even if you throw it away later, it just kind of writes on your brain. That's why we give you these notes every week so you can kind of follow along with us. Now, when we talk about prayer, most of us want some big moment with God. How many of you know, like if you were like Moses and you saw a burning bush on a mountain and you hiked up to the top of that mountain and it never burned out, and when you got there, God spoke to you, you would have little problem being a believer, right? And we want that. We want like the, the Damascus Road experience. Acts chapter 9, Paul is walking the Damascus Road, a, a shining light like a train from heaven hits him. He falls off his horse. God speaks like, most of us think like if I had one of those moments, you know, I would, I would have no problem believing. I'd be fit. I'd be set for life in my spiritual journey. But here's the fact. Most people will never experience something like that. And even those in the Bible that you read about, those moments come after a long period of seeking God and, and, and chasing after God and a lot of disappointment. I mean, think about Moses. 40 years he's living in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. 40 years he's out in the desert trying to find God. And the last 40 years of his life, he lived to be 120, the last 40 years of his life, he really found his purpose. So, so it, it was a long journey of figuring those things out for him. So it, it's not a moment that just happens. Here's what we do know, that life change, like every great move of God begins with prayer. It doesn't matter if it's just your personal move of God, where God touches you and changes your life, or a corporate like changing of a city. It all begins with prayer. So what I want to talk to you today, I'm going to show you three things that why it is hard for us to pray. Let's see, I'm going to acknowledge the reason why it's hard to pray. And then I'm going to give you three things to do to model your prayer life, okay? Let's start with this. Like when we talk about how it's hard to pray, I'll tell you this funny story. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, I'm a pastor. I don't have to tell true stories if I don't want to. It's a funny story, okay, so it, it, it qualifies. There's a pastor and his wife. They want to bring all the elders of the church, their spouses, in for a, a meal at their house. The pastor's wife is going to cook for everyone, host everyone in her home. She's really stressed about it. She gets everybody in the house, gets all the food ready, gets them around the table. She turns to her four-year-old daughter, and she says, Honey, why don't you say the prayer? Now, that's dangerous, okay, anyways, a four-year-old. And the four-year-old says, Mom, I don't, I don't know what to say, and she says, well, honey, just, just pray like mom prays. Little girl says, dear Lord, why did I bring all these people into this house? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Don't let your four-year-old pray in front of company. All right, now why is it hard to pray? Three reasons. Number one, prayer is completely countercultural. As you think about prayer and you think about what our culture is today, they don't really match up. And so when you pray, you're going to be fighting against culture. Now, we were originally created to commune with God, but we're swimming in sin. 
I mean, our whole world, our whole culture elevates the wrong thing. Good is called evil. Evil is called good. And that sin has dulled our passion for alone time with God. And so from our earliest years, we are taught that the only way to accomplish something in your life is take action. You want something? Go make it happen. Go get it. But prayer is the opposite of that. Sabbath is about stopping. Everybody say stop. Stop. That's what the word Sabbath literally means. It means to stop or to cease striving. We strive every day. We try to make things happen. And Sabbath or prayer is about getting along with God and, and being still and being quiet. There's a Mother Teresa who said, God is the friend of silence, but we are not. Our culture is not a friend that we love noise. Getting up in the morning, your alarm clock is making noise. You get dressed, you're hearing whatever you're hearing when you're getting dressed. Maybe you listen to the uh, music or you listen to the news or whatever. In your car, radio's blaring something all the time. You start talking to people, it's a noisy environment. Even if you call a friend, there's probably a ringback tone that's ringing you a song while you're waiting. If you get put on hold with customer service, it's Beethoven's Fifth or something because we freak out with silence. We don't know how to handle silence and quiet things make us think something Something is wrong. Meanwhile, this ancient God that we want to pray to says this, Psalm 46 and 10, says, be still, be still, be quiet, stop moving, Sabbath, cease striving, chill out, calm down, be still, and know that I am God. Being still and knowing that he's God, see, they go together. If you can't do this, you can't do this. You want to know that he's God. You want to be assured. You want to be, don't you want to be one of those people that are so sure that when all hell breaks loose, they're chill. They're like, hey, God's got this. You have that person in your life, maybe a grandmother, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your pastor, somebody that you've talked to regularly, a small group leader where, man, no matter what's going on, you can look at that person because they are so sure God's got this. And, and you find confidence in their confidence. You want me to tell you how you get there? Be still. You got to stop trying to make it all happen in your life and, and, and know that God's got this. But see, we don't like to be silent and we don't like to be still. I, I don't. I mean, silence and solitude have never come easy for me. I equate them with laziness or a lack of productivity. You're being still over. You're trying to be spiritual. Get up and get something going. Let's go. Right? I mean, is anybody like me like that? Come on, we can confess in here. Like, we want to make something happen. You know, and and so with me, the minute I get alone with God and and I try to get quiet, my brain doesn't want to be quiet. I can shut my mouth up, but my brain's like, do this. You need to call this person. You need to return that text message. Somebody's waiting on that. Like stuff that I have forgotten about, boom, just just magically comes back in my head. And so it it wants to stop me from do, you know, from being productive. And if I can somehow get quiet of all that stuff, my phone is over here in a corner vibrating and dinging like a petulant child who needs attention. So here's what I try to do when I pray. I try to keep that phone away from me, put it on focus or put it on do not disturb, right? And then I try to always, when I go to prayer, I always, if I'm planning on prayer, I always bring paper and a pen every single time Uh, for two reasons. Number one, because I want to say, God, I'm ready for you to say something to me. I am your servant. I'm expecting to hear from you. And whatever you tell me to do, I take it seriously. I'm going to write it. Have you ever told your your kid to do something? And they're like, "Uh uh-huh. Like, you know that you know that you know it is not about to happen what you just said. But if by some chance they wrote it down, you'd be like, man, what has possessed my child? They're going to actually do. I want to be that kind of a child to God. I want to be like, here it is, God. Come on, talk to me. 
But also, man, I, I don't want to pick up my phone. If I, if I think of something that I need to do, if I think of something that, you know, I, I don't want to forget, I, I don't want to play mental gymnastics, try to put it on the back of my brain and hope that after I get done talking to God, it resurfaces to the front. My brain just doesn't work that way. So I've got to write it down somewhere. I write it right there on the paper because if you pick up your phone, 87 uh, you know, notifications are right there and you're going to get distracted. What I'm telling you is our culture, the way we've designed our life does not fit prayer. If you're thinking to yourself, I'm not really good at prayer. Man, they're preaching on prayer today. I'm going to feel awful about myself. Give yourself a break. You live in a culture that is designed to not pray and not Sabbath. But we want to go against that flow because amazing things happen in the silence. God moves in the silence. The trees and the grass and the flowers, they bloom in silence. Over your head, stars are, and, and the earth and, 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 or the moon and the sun, all that activity is happening in silence to you. God whispers in the silence. The most meaningful, a lot, and most of the most meaningful moments in my life have happened in quiet places with God. I have a place that I love to pray. It's quiet. It's, it's, it's a, a grove full of giant oak trees. And it's, it's actually a prayer garden area. Lots of people pray there. And as, as, as I was walking uh, through those oak trees, I'm just reminded of how massive God is, you know. He made these oak trees, and he made billions of them around the planet, right? And, and how powerful he is. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, there have been several moments that I, I won't forget. One of those moments I'll never forget, God spoke to me. I was in a really trying season in my life. I was really struggling and I needed a miracle. Like I needed God to do something for me. And, and I was, you know, it's one thing to get up here and preach. God can do it and tell testimonies of it. But in your own life where the rubber meets the road, you always have to win that battle again to like, okay, God's really going to do this for me. And that's where I was that day. I'm walking around and I'm, I'm walking and I look up at these towering massive oak trees and underneath my feet, I could hear the crumbling of tiny acorns. And I looked up and then I looked down. God spoke to me in that moment, in nature. I, I scooped up some of those acorns and I heard God say, Jerry, when those massive oaks were as small as these acorns, I was being faithful to people before you were here. And when the tiny acorns you hold in your hand have turned into massive oak trees, I'm going to still be faithful long after you're gone. And I'm faithful from then until now. I'm going to be faithful for you. That stuck in my head. It's so real. It's wonderful to read it in the Bible. It's wonderful to hear your testimony. But when you have been alone with God on your own and God speaks to you, it is life-changing. And it sticks inside of you. But your world that you live in, that we live in, it does not make room for that. You're going to have to push the schedule aside. You're going to push away what is natural for you and say, no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to cease striving. I'm going to Sabbath. I'm going to spend time with God. It's hard to pray because prayer is completely countercultural. Here's the second reason. Because prayer is an admission of weakness. In prayer, we admit our total dependence on God. There's something deep-seated in our Western mindset that says, I can make it on my own. Our culture celebrates self-dependence. And prayer says, I can't make it on my own. The whole nature of it is I can't do it. See, that's why men are not really uh, good or are not likely to pray in front of their family. They're not as likely to pray in front of their family as women are or not as likely to pray in public. Because something about the way we expect men to be, we, we've called them to be in control. 
to not have any needs. We can't be afraid of spiders or snakes, you know. We're tough guys and we can handle it. We don't care how we look or what people think about us and we don't have feelings. There's something called Epperson's Law that says when a man says it's a silly childish game, it's probably because his wife can beat him at it. Because men have to win, right? We have to be in control. You know, we have to be able to handle our problems. But prayer by its very definition begins by saying, God, I can't handle this. And it really doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're a tough guy or, you know, whatever you are, you still can't handle it. Whether you admit it or not, there are things in your life you cannot handle. You are not in control. God is the only one that's in control. And until you're in his will and in his presence, you'll never have the control that you seek or think you have. All right, so here's what the Bible says about that. It says in Psalm 34 and 19, many, many, everybody say many. Many. So many afflictions, attacks, demonic things thrown at you, trials, uh, sickness, so many problems of righteous people, people who are in right standing with God. But it's the Lord who delivers him out of them all. You're not going to deliver yourself. You're not going to work your way out of it. You're not going to be in control. And prayer begins with the reality that, God, I need you. I can't control this. I can't handle this without you. That's hard for us. It's hard for people who want to make it happen, right? And it's countercultural. Here's the third reason we find prayer very hard, because prayer seldom produces our results in our timing. This is a fact. I need God. See, you can almost just go ahead and strike out our timing because our timing is always like everybody in this room have different things you want God to do. Everybody in here has got different challenges and different things you want God to do. But every one of them want those things to be done at the exact same time. Guess when you want yours and I want mine to be done? Right now. We share unity in that. Our timing is always right now. And the problem with prayer is that it seldom happens how you want it and when you want it. I was thinking about that reality. There's so many things I've prayed for. Like, and when God does something, it is so often unrelated to what it seems like I'm doing. <laughs> I'm praying for something, nothing happens. I quit praying, boom, something happens. It, and it makes it hard to pray and expect something to happen. I'll, I'll give you an example, uh, a, a strange one. I was in Africa doing a crusade in a uh, pretty remote Muslim village preaching Jesus. And there was uh, a lot of Muslim witch doctors and a lot of demon-possessed people. They've been going to these witch doctors and they're doing these weird things, cutting their skin, doing all these strange things. And at that particular crusade, thousands of people have been saved. And, and dem- as we started praying, these demonic people started manifesting in crazy demonic ways. And uh, they, would, uh, they would put them up on the stage for the pastors, a bunch of pastors to pray for them. And I was, I was praying for people and this weird woman, if you don't believe in demon possession, you meet her, you will. She was slithering like I was praying for somebody and she started curling up my leg like a snake. I started praying her down. <laughs> Jesus, you know, this would be a good time for the rapture right now. Jesus, let's go, you know, it's freaking me out a little bit. Right. And, and there's so many weird things were happening. And then they brought up this girl, this, this young girl, maybe 10 eight, 10 years old, and her eyes looked like a zombie. I'm like, well, we got zombies over here now? What is happening? But she was blind. She, that's why she looked like that. She was blind. And I prayed for her, and I prayed for a lot of people that were blind, and none of them received their sight. But I, I prayed for her too. And I, honestly, I've prayed like 
biblical prayers, prayers of unity, prayers that get people together, quote Bible verses like the, the, the most biblical and, and, and right kind of prayer that scripture would lead me to pray. And I've prayed it like that. This time it was more of a like head, uh, you know, uh, moving around what's happening up here. Help her out, Lord. You know, is any crazy people here? Is some bug spray? I need something to keep them off of me. Like that's, the, that's what prayer I was praying. God opened her eyes and that girl could see. Crazy. It was so easy. Like I didn't quote Bible verses. I didn't get 10 preachers together to pray over her. I was literally had my head on a swivel like, what's going to happen next in Jesus' name? Take care. And boom. I was like, I got it now. I caught it. <laughs> Went and bought me a white suit. People started falling down. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it, it, I, I haven't had that happen again. You know, I'm praying. I still believe in I'm going to Africa next month. I'm going to pray for miracles again. I've seen lots of miracles. What I'm saying is like, it is clearly not dependent on me. The way I'm praying, what I'm doing, I want to do it the most biblical way. I want to follow scripture. I want to believe every single time. But it is clear to me there's something else going on that is beyond me and my prayers. And that is our ways are not like his ways. Our will is often not like his will. His ways are higher than ours. You know, we live in such an ordered and organized society. You put a letter in the mailbox, put a stamp on it, and it goes to where you want it to go, right? You order something, you know, they, they send you the size and the color that you ordered, right? Most of the time you get what you expect. You pay the power bill, the lights work every single time. Prayer doesn't work just that way. So many times what I'm expecting and what I see, you know, I believe I've seen hundreds of answered prayers, but I can't let my prayer life be tied directly to the results I expect, how I expect them, and when I expect them, because his ways are higher than mine. And every prayer must agree with the perfect will of God. We all know this verse that says, you have not because you ask not. We all know that, right? You know, you have not because you ask not. Asking you will receive, seeking you will find, knock, the door will be open. But you also know the Bible says you have not because you ask amiss. You ask for the wrong thing. And it's not terrible things you're asking for. It's not like you're, God, please run over my neighbor because he gets on my nerve. You're not, I hope you're not praying that prayer, right? You're praying good prayers, but you're not necessarily praying in the timing of God or with the will of God. And that's what makes prayer difficult. And so I, I would say this. Kind of the central theme of this whole message is this. Prayer is not aligning God with my plan. It's aligning me with his plan. Let that sink in just for a minute. I'm not trying to convince God. I've heard people pray, beg God. Oh, please God, do it. Can you come on? Like the way my son begs me for more screen time, right? Come on, can I come up somebody today? I hadn't been on there enough. And anyway, explaining all the different reasons why he should have more screen time. That, that's not the way you pray. Okay? You pray what the Bible says. You pray in alignment with God's word. You quote God's promises back. You say it in faith, and then you say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because the business of prayer is not convincing God to do what you want to do. It's about convincing you to do the plan of God. Prayer is going to move things, and it's going to change things. And the most important thing it moves and changes is me. That's the most valuable and most important. Abraham Lincoln was once asked by one of his uh, supporters, hey, uh, he says, I'm praying that God is on our side, President Lincoln. And the president said, no, you need to pray that we're on his side. That's really what prayer is about. God, what is your will? I want to pray for your will to be done in my life. Here's what scripture says in Isaiah 40 and 28. I love how Isaiah writes these words. It's almost like he's talking to us today. He says, hey, don't you know? this? Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
This God we pray to, the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth, this God, he will not grow tired or weary, right? His understanding, no one can fathom. You're not going to figure it out, but it's okay. He's figured it out already. He made all this stuff. He's got you. Man, you just get in his presence. You just talk to him. You just discipline yourself to prayer, and you're going to see God will do what is right for you, your life, and your family. God has a plan of blessing and peace and hope. He has an, uh, uh, an amazing plan. Jesus, in fact, said that he didn't just want you to have life. He wanted you to have abundant life, right? What I want to do is say, God, how do I get there? Instead of saying, God, here, this is a big distinction. Please get this. Instead of saying, okay, God, here's my plan. I'm going right here, and I need you to bring wealth and health, and blessing, and the right relationships, and the right career, and just start wedging, and begging, and pushing things to your plan. What if you backed up and said, God, not my will, but yours be done. Show me your plan, and then within his plan, you know what you're going to find? Wealth, and health, and happiness, and wholeness, and the abundance of God for your life. Instead of saying, I'm doing it this way, God, and I'm going to check in with you, and see if you can fix stuff. No, God, you show me the way. God, you give me the direction, and then God's will will be done in your life. This is why it's hard to pray. We like to be in control. We like to order things. Now, let me talk to you about how to pray. The word prayer literally means to prostrate oneself on the ground. That's not the only way to pray. A.W. Tozer used to pray that way. Great father of the faith, great prayer warrior. He had overalls, coveralls, literally in his office. And every day when he would pray uh, on on the hardwood floor to keep from getting his clothes dusty, he'd put those coveralls on. He'd lay out like that. That's not the only way to pray. There's a lot of different ways to pray. I'm going to show you three things that you should do. You say, I'm going, to, I'm going to be a prayer warrior this year. How do I start? Right here, you start with adoration. Come on, everyone, say it. Adoration. adoration. Start by reminding ourselves of how great God is. Talk about what he's done in your life. Review his mighty acts in, in, in creation and in the world and in your own family. You know, and as we pour words of adoration into the air, It changes the atmosphere around us. Adoration changes the atmosphere. From from an atmosphere of, of anxiety and stress and worry and fear, we start changing the atmosphere. So much of our prayer, we just take the atmosphere of the world into our prayer time and we just talk about what we need God to do. And it's really more fearful. God, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. It's, it's more anxiety. God, I'm worried about this. What if you don't, don't start there. Start by, God, you are amazing. There's nothing you can't do. I can feel your presence. I know you're real. You're the healer. God, you're the problem solver. You own the cattle of a thousand hills. You can help me pay these bills. God, I'm trusting in you. You see, when you do that, you begin to expand your spirit. Your faith begins to rise and adoration creates an atmosphere for the miraculous. Say that with me. Adoration creates an atmosphere for the miraculous. Start with adoration. Now, here's the second thing. Then you move on to confession. This is where we regularly acknowledge and truly uh, admit our sin nature. We confess specific acts that hinder our relationship with God. We must be daily broken before God and humbled to realize, God, this thing right here in my life, I know it's wrong. This is what I'm working on, God. I'm praying for you to help me. I want to get the victory over this. I confess this. I'm sorry for this anger problem. I'm sorry that I keep uh, getting in this place. And then you start to hear from God, and God will start talking to you about it. You know, There are some specific steps you can take to be free from, from the addictions or those strongholds that keep holding you back. When you start... Uh, by, by bringing those up and confessing them to God. A lot of 
a lot of times we don't want to do that. But here's the fact, God already knows all that stuff about you. You know that, right? You don't bring it up in prayer. You're not going to hide it from God. He knows where we're weak. And, 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 and it's kind of a discipline like this. When Leslie and I built our first house, the land was right where an old farmhouse used to be many years before it had all been removed. And as they started excavating the land, a lot of old farm utensils were there, like an old sink, a bucket, uh, you know, an old faucet. There's a lot of stuff, just junk, rocks, lots and lots of rocks. And even after the house was built and we were doing the sod and the, you know, the shrubs and all that kind of stuff, there was still a lot of stuff in there. You know, we, we'd come up, you know, uh, a tool here or there. I remember seeing a spoon, you know, a piece of metal. And, and the, the pieces were smaller and smaller. But even after we laid sod and we started mowing, every now and then this rocks would come up that, that were coming up through the soil. And that's a lot like our spiritual life. You know, when I, when I first started following Jesus, he pointed out buckets of sin in my life. Hey, bro, this is no good. You got to cut that out. And they were big, obvious objects. But the more you follow after Christ, you'll see more little things come up to the surface. And that's not a terrible thing. That's a wonderful thing. To be able to be more like Christ, to be able to remove those things. And then he'll put things in your life to help you find it, like children. Like I thought I was a pretty cool person until I had little human beings. <laughs> try my patience and other little things will come to the surface. And that's what would lead a guy like the Apostle Paul near the end of his life. When others might have been calling him the chief apostle, Paul called himself the chief sinner. That never reaches a moment in your life. You know, when you find somebody that is self-righteous, self-righteous, you have found someone who has not been in the presence of God. I can promise you that. If you feel like you've got it all figured out, you know everything, you're holier than everybody else, you're more spiritual than everybody else, that's how I know you've not been near God. Because when people are close to God, they're like Isaiah, who just prayed and fasted and broke into the presence of God in Isaiah 6. And he said, I saw the Lord. And he was high, exalted, and the train of his robe filled his temple. And the angels cried, holy, holy, holy. And then I said, woe is me. For I'm an unclean man with unclean lips, and I dwell among unclean people. That's how you're going to feel when you get in the presence of God. And that's wonderful. It humbles you. It makes you more like Christ. And it draws out the best in you. So, so you begin with adoration. You move on to confession. And then you move into intercession. That's the most powerful part of prayer. It's been said the most powerful act a creature of God can perform is prayer. And this is the kind of prayer that changes things. Intercession. Intercession literally means to stand between two parties. Moses, you see Moses doing that between Israel and God. And so often God would, uh, would want to punish them and Moses said, no God, give them another chance. So often he would be pleading for God's blessing and God would pour out blessing. Did you know you can intercede for the people you love? Your children, your, your spouse, your parents, your family, people you're in relationship with, you can intercede for them. You know, when I was a teenager, I used to tell uh, teenagers, you know, that wanted to, girls that wanted to date the wrong guys. Yeah, he has a good heart. He's just got a good heart. I don't think you need to be dating that. Oh, but he's got such a good heart. Yeah, but he's smoking dope behind the church. Oh, he's got a good heart. Don't date that guy, but you can intercede for him. 
you can pray, right? You can, you can intercede. You can ask God to move. You can see what God will do in a person's life. Intercession is that way, and it's one of the most powerful things that you can do. Now, busy people, don't raise your hand, are they, but just are there any busy, don't, don't raise your hand. Are there any busy people in the room right now? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But you're busy. Busy people find it hard to intercede. Because intercession doesn't happen in 30 seconds. It doesn't happen between appointments. Intercession happens when you press pause. That's what the word Sabbath means. It means to pause, to stop, or to cease striving. That's where intercession happens. You just get in the presence of God. You start with adoration. You worship you, you identify the big giant rocks or the small pebbles of sin in your life. You ask God, you confess those to God. You ask God to move them and set you free. And that's when intercession happens at that place. And it's so powerful in your life. I'll tell you about the last time I went to Africa without an intercession team. The last time. Because I'll never do it again. I was going over there to perform a wedding for Bishop Nassan. And uh, I took my whole family. I didn't have my son yet. So it was my, my wife and my two daughters. And I, I didn't really gather my prayer team. I've got people that pray for me. I don't feel like I deserve that. But if you think, well, he's so fruit-fruit, he's got his own prayer team. Well, just go get your own too. Just ask people to pray for you. I never thought I was really worthy of all that and should be asking people to like pray specifically for me until that, this trip I'm about to tell you about. We got over there and my wife fell ill, deathly ill. She started to die immediately as we landed. It wasn't something she ate. It wasn't something she caught. It was a demonic attack. I could tell you, I've got a journal this thick of things I wrote about that trip. I don't have time to tell you all about it. I'm going to give you the high points and why intercession saved her life. She was sick, and as quickly as we could get out of there, we needed to get out of country, get her back home. And But we couldn't. We couldn't get flights changed. There's this weird rule about wherever you're calling from. We couldn't, we couldn't get our flights changed. And I, I sent an email in the middle of the night to our travel agent who is a spirit filled he's a minister he set up his travel agency just to send missionaries around the world God woke him up in the night and had him read his email you know God will wake you up and tell you stuff if you're close to him I'm so thankful Andy Kumar from India met the Lord from a missionary when he was a kid <laughs> and he has followed God his whole life since then God woke him up in the middle of the night he read his email he got my number he called me he got us out. He got us on a flight. We couldn't do it. We tried for a couple days. We get on that flight, and as soon as the flight takes off, we are not hardly in the air yet. Leslie begins to seize. She passes out. She becomes septic. She's dying. But that flight that we randomly got put on, <laughs> air quotes random because the Holy Spirit did it, also had a team of ER doctors and nurses that were touring Uganda and training doctors. They just happened to be on the flight that our spirit-filled guy happened to put us on. They transformed the back two rows of that plane into a mobile ICU. They had medicine. They have everything. They had the whole thing. They had bags, medicine. Started working on her. And I'm talking to them the whole time. And yet, they still told us, you know, it's not getting any better. They were over-medicating her. I'm journaling everything. They might say, hey, you messed up. You gave her too much. I said, no, we're keeping her alive. This is definitely too much medicine. We're just keeping her alive. It, it, was, it was crazy. And, and tell you how God is. My two sweet little girls did not need to see that happening. You know, you're on a 10-hour flight over Africa. You don't need to see your mother down. You know what God provided? This awesome young man from London. 
My girls had never seen anybody with a British accent or with beautiful eyes and curly hair like that guy. And so he just, you know, he saw what was happening and he just started talking to the girls and distracting them. He told them all about London, all about England, and his awesome look like a, you know, fairy, a Disney movie come to life for those girls. And for several hours, they just sat there and talked to him while all this was going on. I'm so thankful, God. God was in that, you know. God was in that even. And even though the doctors didn't do anything, really, they, they, but keep her alive, they didn't know what was wrong or how to fix it. God miraculously healed Leslie. I don't mean we had a surgery. I don't mean they found a medicine. I don't even mean they found a diagnosis. I just mean all those numbers that said she were dying, was dying all changed miraculously. In a moment, everything changed and she was fine. We didn't get a diagnosis. God just miraculously healed her. And when we got back here, thing I'll never forget is an elderly couple. They didn't know about this. We weren't Facebooking it or anything like that. We got back here for church the next Sunday and at the front door, this elderly lady said, hey, is something wrong with Leslie? Is Leslie okay? And I was like, hey, hey you, you hadn't heard about this? I mean, she almost died. And they're like, no, we had no idea. All I know is God woke me up in the middle of the night and said, I didn't know y'all were going to Africa, she said. I didn't know. I just know God woke me up and said, you got to pray for Leslie right now and don't stop until I tell you to stop. And she woke up her husband and the two of them, this elderly couple, prayed all night long. They told me the time and the day. It was specifically the exact time we were in that airplane over Africa. And God healed my wife because of the intercessory prayers of a person close enough to God to hear his voice. This does not belong to the spiritually elite. It belongs to you. It belongs to you. Well, they were just old enough to not be in the rat race. Well, maybe you need to get older then. Get out of the rat race. Maybe you're too cool and hip. You need to roll it back. Get on your knees and talk to God because he wants you to be that powerful in your family. That powerful where you work. That powerful as a father in home. That powerful as a young teenager bringing revival to school with you. That powerful in college hearing his voice that shapes the future. He wants you to be that powerful. St. Augustine said God gives where he finds empty hands. Wow. Let that sink in for a minute. God gives where he finds empty hands. You know what we do? We grip our plans so tightly, our culture, our schedule. We control things so much. And God, it's not that God doesn't want to pour out his love and his blessing and the miraculous in your life. But if your hands were gripped like this and I threw you my wallet, if it happened to be full of money, you couldn't catch it. It bounced right off your hands because God only gives where he finds empty hands. So do this for me right now. Just let your brain be a conduit for this to happen in your heart. Take your hands like this. Just do that like this. Imagine how you grip what goes on in your life and how you want it. It's important. So you want to control and make sure nothing goes wrong and you're gripped it. Now, why don't you just open them up. Close your eyes. And could you just envision just letting control slip away right now? Your finances, your family, your health your future plans, your career, your education, that relationship, you're not sure, is this the right? Is he the right one for me? Is she the right? Just envision it all slipping between your fingers and say, say this with me. Say, Jesus, 
I'm going to trust you. I'm going to push aside my crazy schedule and pause in your presence. I'm going to give you control. In Jesus' name.